Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right, so we are joined here today by the OG guest, Mr. Andy Bellavia himself. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while since we've just done a solo episode, you and I, so I'm really looking forward to this. Do you want to share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, by now, I think everybody knows who I am <laughs> if they're listening to your podcast, but uh, I'm the Director of Market Development for Knowles Corp, and I'm actually responsible for the in-ear products, which are not regulated hearing aids. So music earphones, professional musician IEMs, radio communications and the like, and hearable devices, which we'll talk about. Uh, but I am also a hearing aid wearer for the last three years, probably should have been the last eight years, which will be you know, part of the conversation. And I just can't resist throwing in that this will be Dave's last recording as a single person. <laughs> I have to congratulate him uh, for his upcoming marriage and wish him the best. Thank you. Yes. I, as I mentioned before we were recording, I'm in the throes of wedding week. It's uh, it's here. That's why the podcast has been a little sporadic in its publication lately. I got a lot going on in my personal life right now, but yes, very, very exciting stuff. I will soon be married here. Um, so anyway, for today's conversation, um, you know, I wanted to bring Andy on as, you know, like my right-hand man when it comes to this whole topic, which is a really understanding kind of, as he mentioned, you know, where he sits in this whole, uh, this world, it, it never really was hearing aids. It was always kind of the hearable side of things. And as hearables and hearing aids converge, you know, his world and his perspective as a hearing aid user is just more and more relevant than, than ever to the hearing health world where I live. Right. And so, um, you know, like the last, few conversations that I've had on the podcast um, have, have all sort of revolved around this theme of like, there's a ton of momentum that's taking place in the mild to moderate end of the market, uh, mild to moderate types of hearing losses. And, you know, so we're seeing all kinds of companies from Bose and Apple um, introducing entirely new devices like Bose's hearing aid, Apple's conversational booster enhancement, which is a new feature for AirPods Pro. Um, so we're seeing the consumer tech giants in this audio world become more and more focused on uh, hearing health. And then we're seeing a lot of the hearing health players like, you know, the hearing aid manufacturers resound with Jabra. They've introduced a hearing aid under that brand that's going to start in Costco. You have Sonova buying Sennheiser's consumer audio division. And then you have a lot of these really interesting companies that were originally either apps or they were standalone devices. And the, the real core of their expertise and their value was their software. And they're sort of pivoting toward licensing their software, their capabilities. And so all of that's to say that like this portion of the market where Andy, you know, he says, I should have been wearing something for the last eight years. He's really, I think, describing the core of the gap of the market, which is like eight years ago, there wasn't a whole lot that existed for someone like him that is in this more sort of introductory level of hearing loss um, that they can wear as a sort of a situational device until it really graduates into being something that needs to be an all-day device. Historically, that's always just been hearing aids. But here we are in 2021, and it's like 
a just massive tidal wave of new things that cater to all kinds of different people that have these milder losses and they want to do something to preserve their hearing. And so that's what's so exciting. And there's been even more news since my last episode that I wanted to bring Andy on to talk about. So first things first, let's start with the executive order. This is kind of a confusing thing because it's really not any news per se, other than it seems to be the executive order is that it's an urging of the FDA to draft the guidelines that they've been, uh, you know, in the midst of drafting since, you know, I guess like 2020 and before that. So we were supposed to have something, um, the pandemic hit, so that definitely pushed the timeline back. But it seems like one of the big pieces of takeaways here is that the timeline should maybe be accelerated uh, accelerated now, um, citing about 120 days. So I just want to kick things off here with you to kind of get your sense of like your takeaways from this executive order. Um, and then I think that will dovetail into some of the tech stuff that's happening that ultimately might kind of render a lot of this whole OTC law almost a little bit obsolete with what's coming on the tech horizon. Okay. Uh, Yeah. You know, I was encouraged to see that the president is personally uh, getting involved in this to try and kick things along a little bit. I mean, we've been kind of centering on this timing now that, you know, likely in the autumn, the FDA will release the guidelines and then you have a 60 day comment period. Then they have up to 180 days to actually release the regs. So we're talking sometime in the back half of next year before things get rolling. And of course, companies are preparing for this based on what they've seen, but it'll take some time for them then to get approval for the devices, especially if pre-market is needed. So in other words, if they have to get the devices pre-approved, it's going to take even more time. And for my part, I actually hope that's so. We can talk about that later. But uh, so, you know, we seem to be uh, homing in on a timing where we actually have something available and products hitting the market, let's say, a year from now, or at least in the latter half of 2022, which is a good thing. But the report itself, I was actually very disappointed in the report. It made a lot of simplifications. Uh, it it barely discussed the role of the audiologist. And when it did discuss the role of the audiologist, it just implied that the audiologist is nothing more than a cost adder. And it made no distinguishing at all between mild to moderate hearing loss, which is the OTC target, simply saying that uh, over-the-counter hearing aids will be available for everyone and they'll save people a lot of money. So I was actually disappointed in the report, even though I'm glad the president is actually kind of nudging the FDA along. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that you're right with uh, with regard to the fact that it seems to be something that is still a focus um, and, and even might be something that's top of mind for Biden himself. And I just think that um, that that's definitely positive. But to your point, I found it to be um, just really disappointing in, in the way that, like you said, that they were sort of almost scapegoating the the hearing professional, um, which as somebody that, you know, it's it's interesting when you read these things and you actually have a deep knowledge of of what they're writing about and you sort of then see like, wow, th- this is, there's so much naivety, so much just blatant um, misinformation in here, uh, you know, citing just all of the different information. Um, a lot of it was confusing, conflicting to previous reports. Um, So that was really frustrating. And I think that, 
you had a really good uh, thread on this where you made a couple of key points. And I wanted to give you a chance to kind of outline these, you know, basically take the conversation from Twitter and move it into the podcast so that many others can hear a lot of these great points that you're making. So do you want to share what some of your takeaways were from this? And then we can kind of use that as a jumping point into some specific topics. Yeah, certainly. And I think they're really a, a couple of different things. One is I, they scapegoated the hearing aid providers by simply saying that the average cost of a hearing aid is too high. And they threw audiologists under a bus by implying that they're nothing more than a cost adder that you don't need once you have a device you can you know go to the store and buy. And been thinking a lot about this price discussion because it's obviously you know a hot topic right now when people say quote unquote hearing aid prices are too high. But so you know, you think about what a hearing aid is today. I mean, it, in compared to a consumer hearable device, you know, my hearing aids are half the size of any hearable you can buy. The batteries, the rechargeable version, the batteries go all day long. If you get, you know, the replaceable battery version, they go for three or five or seven days. And they're super comfortable. I mean, three years further in, I'm still jumping in the shower wearing them if I shower in the afternoon because I totally forget they're there. And, you know, as a, as a hearing device, they're pretty amazing, actually. And the total hearing aids sold globally are something like 17 or 8 million units. And you have that split up amongst five major companies and a passel of smaller ones. So you're developing these custom DSPs, but only spreading the cost of that development across a very small quantity. You know, for a typical hearing aid company, it's only going to be a few million units which is a far different animal than say, for example, Apple developing their custom chip and then being able to spread it across 50 million or more annual sales. So, you know, the, the cost basis of developing a hearing aid is completely different than a hearable device. And I'll actually go, I mean, this is a theoretical point, if you will, but I have here GN's annual report and I took the 2019 annual report so we could go pre-pandemic. And they break out their hearing division and their audio division. Of course, the hearing division is the resound hearing aids, and the audio division is the professional and communications headsets, you know, the Jabra Elite Series, True Wireless earphones, and the like. And their operating profit margin for the hearing division in 2019 was 20%, 20.2. Their operating margin for the audio division was 19.2. So basically, they're making the same margin on the hearing aid division as they are on their other audio products. So clearly, they are not pillaging the, by the price of the hearing aids. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a going reasonably profitable business, just like their audio group is, but no higher, right? It quite simply just costs more to develop a hearing aid yes. and produce it. And so the hearing aid companies are not getting fabulously wealthy off of hearing aid sales. It's just normal uh, comparing to other in-ear audio products. But then who, who, who's making all the money, right? I mean, I look at my audiologist, she's not driving a Bentley or anything like that. You know, I mean, she's not making undue margin. She's making the margin of a professional person and really no more. I mean, it, it, it costs money to operate a private practice. If you're, if you're an audiological practice in a big box store, you could spread the cost a little bit differently being within the big box store than you can as a private practice. But, you know, but my audiologist isn't making a ton of money. 
I think what's I think what's happened there, and, and if if people in the audiological community want to accuse me of drifting too far out of my lane, I'm fine with that. It's only my personal thoughts. Is that because in the U.S., hearing aids and the services, the audiological service, are not covered by insurance. Audiologists and other hearing care professionals were more or less boxed in to recovering the cost of their services in the price of the hearing aid. Now, pre all this discussion about hearables and OTC, yes, an audiological practice could have unbundled and broken out all their services, but it's really just a lot easier and probably made more sense to the customer to just bake it all into the hearing aid price. And so nobody's making a whole lot of money here, but that's the system that was developed. And, uh, you know, now because you have OTC and all the rest, that model is going to have to change in some way. And it's obviously there's a lot of, you know, discussion within the audiology community on exactly how that has to happen. I personally feel it's an opportunity, um, you know, to be more holistic in service providing. And, and I was thinking about this. And I'm listening to one of my favorite radio stations, which you'll recognize, WXRT. And there's always uh, one of the clinics who deals with sleep apnea. And, and they come on and they say, if you go over here, you're going to walk out of there with a CPAP mask. But you may not need a CPAP mask. And just like a hearing aid, nobody wants to wear a bloody CPAP mask, right? Do I want to put a mask on my face and go to bed? No. And so their pitch actually is if you're having sleep problems, come see us and we'll custom evaluate and find a solution that works for you. If it's not a mask, we're not going to put one on you, right? That's kind of their pitch. And I could see, you know, audiologists pitching the same thing. Regardless of your hearing situation, we've got an answer for you. It isn't always necessarily a classical hearing aid, depending on where you're at, but we have an answer for you. And so that's how the model may end up, you know, going further. But when I read the presidential report and they're saying the cost of a hearing aid is too high and the audiologists are doing nothing more than adding, you know, extra cost to the whole delivery system, I, I kind of have to push back against both of those. I think the, the main thing really is it's not a hearing aid causes too high. If you're profoundly hearing impaired or on the, you know, the serious and above, you need one of those devices, right? Right. You need a medical grade device and you need a professional to fit it for you. The issue is, is that not everybody needs that. There are people early in their journey who can use a lower cost solution. And that's what the OTC legislation was meant to address. It's not meant to throw hearing aid providers and audiologists under the bus and just give a blanket statement that costs are too high. People should be able to buy a hearing aid at a big box store, which is really what they said. Right. I completely agree. And I think that the, um, you know, to your point too, I think that what's exciting is that you're going to have a lot of, you know, in the, in the span of when the whole like Obama PCAST report was issued. So that was, you know, I guess at least 2015. So it's been six years since this has been a directive from the government of like, we need to do something about, you know, the cost and the, uh, the overall expenditure of, of hearing healthcare. And so the solution has been like, we're going to introduce this, these over-the-counter hearing aids. And what's fascinating, in my opinion, is that over the course of those six years, technology has actually almost kind of rendered this whole thing 
moot. And what I mean by that is like everything that we're seeing happen right now in the consumer audio space is so emblematic of call it Moore's law or just call it like just the, the inevitability of these devices getting a little bit smaller, a little bit more capable, a little bit more powerful each and every year to the point to where here we are in 2021 and you have you know, earbuds that can function just like a hearing aid in some sense. You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that these are going to be replacements, but even having a rudimentary offering was like, it, it's just, I think it shows sort of the blind spot of like of the government a little bit and just of, of this idea of like, we need to have this intervention when a lot of the time technology just works itself out. I mean, a lot of what is being cited as issues are actually being inherently sat, uh, navigated by a lot of these really interesting sort of startups or, or some of the big incumbents that are now putting a focus on this. You know, I talked, and maybe this is a good jumping off point to talk through um, when I had the conversation with Brian Taylor uh, on the last episode, you had a great Twitter thread. Uh, again, you'll hear Andy and I always kind of mention like Twitter threads and stuff. We both spend a lot of time on Twitter, probably too much time, but there are so many interesting conversations that happen on there. It's such a great place. And Andy is a, a really a big advocate of this himself. And so after that episode, he shared a lot of his sort of takeaways. And I think you you sort of fixated a little bit on the portion of that conversation where we talked about um, price stigma and what we called friction or access to hearing care as being the three roots of, of low hearing solution adoption. And I thought maybe this will be a good way to kind of like segue back into that now. So as I was kind of describing there with the whole OTC, you know, regulations, like here we are in 2021, you can actually make a case as to why the, the, the technology itself is working itself out to solve all three of those things in different ways. Um, you had just gone and done a, a detailed breakdown of price, but I think that we could talk about how you now have, you know, these low cost, you know, earbuds that are going to have really exciting technology baked into them because that's just like the trajectory of, of these new capabilities is that they're now being licensed by whether it's Jacody. Now you have the company Alongo who does the Be Here solution. So another one of these companies that has its own hardware, but the real, the root of its, um, of its value is in its software. And so now they're going to license this out. So you're going to see these specialty device manufacturers that have this great technology start to really license their 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 uh, software, and it's going to increase the foothold or the footprint of these devices like dramatically. And so I wanted to kick it back over to you and just kind of get your thoughts on this. Of like, does OTC even really matter that much anymore when you have things that aren't necessarily called hearing aids that function a whole lot like what the OTC Act was intended to solve all along? It seems almost like we're we're already kind of solving these things, and do we even need this? Yeah, I want to start with the with the discussion you had with Brian Taylor on it was you know three things that caused people to uh, adoption rates of hearing aids to be low and it's cost and stigma and friction, and addressing only cost makes no sense because even in, in countries or areas of the world where hearing aids are covered by insurance, adoption rates are still very low. 
So cost is clearly not the only driver. Uh, yeah, and we talked about cost already, um, but a part of it also is what will the U.S. regulatory environment look like? Will OTC be mute, moot or not? Um, because it depends on what the FDA does. Right now, the FDA has allowed a, a wild west to form. You have classic hearing aids, but because they waive the pre-market requirement, you know, roughly quoted, if your device is very similar to an existing one, well, lots of people are taking advantage of that. So it's a giant loophole that every loophole that everybody's driving through. There are legitimate companies trying to be OTC devices, you know, who are doing uh, the NAL NL2 fitting algorithm and all the rest. And then there are a lot of shady players driving into that, you know, open space as well. And the promise of OTC is that they're going to start to carve out classic hearing aids, OTC devices, and PSAPs, and especially a delineation between OTC and PSAP. And if they really do that, then then enforce those that dividing line, then OTC won't be mute, moot. Uh, so in other words, if anything above X amplification has to be classified as an OTC and tested, and they then enforce people who cross that line without getting tested, then there is a place for OTC within the US environment, right? So it won't be moot. And the other thing about uh, OTC is, is that as insurance coverage increases, and right now it's, it's happening in fits and starts, and if it ever happens across the US, you may find OTC being prescribed for people with mild to moderate hearing loss. And then you actually will need that regulated category because that would be eligible for insurance versus a PSAP, which is just a consumer device you, you know, with no regulation, would not be covered by insurance. So we have to see how the FDA actually acts as they release the OTC. But yeah, when it, when it comes to all three, ultimately, I think the problem with today's environment is that you have an all or nothing proposition. And to, to get a hearing aid today is a fairly high friction environment. If I think of my own experience, which is not atypical, and I've heard a lot of people describe it, I went and got the medical check from an ENT first, and I know technically I could have waived it, but I wanted to have that done. Uh, then I went to the audiologist. I had the first measurements. Uh, then I went back for a fitting. Uh, and then after the first fitting, I couldn't take the amplification all at once. So she had to turn it down for me. Uh, and then once I got used to them, I went back, she turned them up. And then as I started to gain more experience, I needed a couple more tuning tweaks. So there were a lot of traps, you know, and, and for me personally, uh, traveling, working hard, had other, you know, activities going. The friction was the thing that kept me waiting longer than ever. It's like, at what point did it get bad enough where I was willing to carve out all that time to make it happen? You know, the cost is always there. Even if you can afford it, you're always thinking, well, it's not that bad. You know, it's like your car, right? If your car, you know, something minor goes wrong where you're like, I don't have to fix it right now, that sort of thing, right? Well, because of that, you, I, I see people making the decision, um, you know, well, I, I've got to repair this thing in my house or, you know, it's do this or buy the hearing aids. And so it, it's easy to, to, to rationalize with yourself that I don't need one just yet. I can push it off. I can push it off. I can push it off. And of course, then there's the stigma factor, which which wasn't a, a factor in my case. 
I'm, I'm actually, you know, on the younger end of hearing aid wearers anyway. And, and so I didn't see that as a sign of my getting older. I saw it as a sign of me being stupid when I was younger, going, going to too many live concerts without <laughs> hearing protection and turning the headphones up too loud and all that, right? Um, but I totally get the stigma portion. You know, I could see somebody who's, you know, say older than I am, their health is starting to fail. And, you know, next thing you know, you've got family members, you know, telling you, you know, you can't hear anymore. Go get a hearing aid, you know. Um, especially in the context of their greater life, you know, you think of an older person, you know, a family member might say to them, you know, you shouldn't be doing that anymore, you know, at your age, you know, you, let me get you some help for that sort of thing. Uh, so already they're starting to feel like, you know, getting uncomfortable with the aging process. And then to be told you should get a hearing aid is just, just another kick in the teeth. And, and, and it's all because there's an all or nothing proposition here. There's no way to gradually go into it. So I'm a distance runner. If you look at my training shoes today, they've got more cushion them and more stability in them than the, than the ones I used to run in, you know, 10 and 20 years ago, just trying to, trying to keep something from breaking when I go pound out the miles, right? You make those accommodations. Uh, and you can do those gradually. A lot of people age very gracefully, right? They just they just make the adjustments little by little as they go. In hearing, you can't do that. It's all or nothing today. You have to you have to bite the bullet and go for the big process. And therefore, people wait until it's really really necessary to do. But in this in this OTC kind of future, and even hearable future, when you are just starting to notice I'm having problems in a crowded restaurant, but I'm still fine hearing, you know, in a home environment, you can gradually start to adopt solutions. You get used to the concept of, of hearing improvement. You can do it in a lower friction way and you become more comfortable with the whole process. And you just simply go up the ladder in stages as you need them. And should you then come to the point where you really need a, a hearing aid, because now you can't hear even in a quiet environment, you're just ready to go get one. It's only the next stage of a journey. You've taken two or three stages already. And I think that's really the value of OTC and hearable devices is that you have a you have something for every stage of the journey. You have a gradual way of working your way into hearing assistance and enhancement. And therefore people will adopt all levels sooner and more comfortably than they do today. Yeah. Wow. Well, really, really well said. I love a lot of the different analogies that you use, whether it be the running shoes um, or just the fact that when you get older, it is like the, I think a big part of the stigma isn't even necessarily like the connotation with the devices as much as it's this reminder that you're sort of getting older and that, you know, it's this constant reminder of that. So there's serious emotional psych psychological elements to this. And I completely agree. I mean, the name of the last episode was the upside of optionality. And we talked a lot about like this idea of hearing aids being packaged in hearable form factors is I think a really net benefit because again, it just, it not, it doesn't necessarily matter to every single person. A lot of people will just sort of yawn and say, that's not for me. And they want the hearing aid, but for some people that might actually be the straw that breaks the camel's back to actually force them to go get, 
some treatment because they're like, all right, now that sort of alleviates part of the stigma, part of my own personal equation. And so I think you're right when you say that, you know, a lot of this is, um, it, it has historically been an all or nothing approach. And so now as we move into more optionality, um, I think that's going to be a really good thing. But I think that, you know, this whole idea that like a lower cost hearing aid is the solution. Um, it, it, again, you have to look at it through this lens of it's like, this is a threefold equation. And I would actually add another one. I would say that the quality of the fit or the quality of the, the experience is up there too, because you might, I'll use like my future father-in-law, for example, he went back in a, a while ago and apparently he was fit with like Sam's hearing aids and there he's the quintessential example of like warm a few times, horrible f- sounding, put them in the drawer, never warm again. And now he thinks like these things aren't for me. Uh, little does he know that his, you know, his future son-in-law has a hearing aid podcast. <laughs> so I'm not going to let that fly, but, uh, but anyway, I think that it's it speaks to this idea, though, that it is like it's so multifaceted. And so you have to think about these things where it's like, OK, so if the solution here is we're going to just make hearing aids cheaper, that actually doesn't really solve the issue again, because it's this if you look at it through the lens of this multifold thing, then you would say that in the UK, for example, where under the NHS, you can get hearing aids for free, why are their penetration rates like just as low as ours? And it's probably because there's a lot more that goes into it than just the cost. The cost plays a big role. It's a serious detractor for many. But in today's day and age, you can go to Costco and you can get hearing aids that are fit using real ear measurement because it's mandated inside of the Costco stores top down. Um, and their, you know, their devices are pretty good, you know? So it, it's like the, there are lots of things that would indicate that shouldn't the penetration rate be going up then. And it's like, again, it goes to this whole notion of the people that are, that have the, call it the $3,000 problem or the $2,000 problem. Those are candidates for hearing aids. What we haven't really seen before is the guy with the $300 problem that's not really, he might be Andy from eight years ago at that onset of like, okay, I think I probably want to do a little bit of something, but I'm not going to go get a hearing aid, whether it's, you know, I'm going to go get something that's uh, an OTC do-it-yourself product, or it's going to be a premium level device that I get through an audiologist you're just not a candidate for that type of solution. But what you might be a candidate for is if good segue into what we'll talk about next, you have skull candy headphones and they have braggy OS that's, you know, being embedded in there and it has Mimi, you know, the ability to have like some hearing augmentation and it's, so it's, it's your consumer audio headphones that you wear, or it's your AirPods pro that you now turn conversational boost on here and there when you want the boost, that's the introductory element of this. And that to me is why everything that's happening on the hearable side is so much more interesting. Uh, Granted, I think that the OTC stuff is important. I don't mean to suggest that it's completely irrelevant and moot, but I think that it doesn't, again, it's just, it's very narrow minded in terms of the way that it's approaching the bigger problem, which is there's so many other factors that are causing people to not seek any kind of solution. Oh, I completely agree. In fact, the cost to try hearing enhancement is actually as low as zero (laughs) because if I already own an AirPods Pro, the first thing I might do if I have trouble hearing in a loud restaurant is flip on the directional mics, the conversation booster. 
And if that works for me, I'll just start using it when I'm, you know, sitting across the table from someone in a restaurant. And now all of a sudden I'm starting to enter the hearing world and it didn't cost me a dime. Right. Well, then, it cost you, it cost you the pair of your headphones, but you didn't buy the headphones for that feature. Yeah, right. Exactly. I might've owned them for a year and now with the new OS, I can put conversation boost on. So, uh, you know, so, so the, the cost to try at the lower end is getting lower and lower. And, and as you mentioned, now you also have the option of doing something else. You know, you've got licensing models starting to appear. Uh, Jacodi is licensing software, for example, and you now have uh, examples like Bragi OS where you can actually go to an app store and buy features. And, and you also have hearing solutions which are completely out of the regulatory amplification system altogether. If I think about what Chattable is doing, which is extracting speech from noise with zero amplification, it's a completely different beast altogether rather than you know classic amplification and hearing test. And, uh, and, and yet that for... Actually, I, I just thought of the conversation you had with Brent Edwards, because when he broke uh, down the market track report, he talked about that sea of people who don't measure as having hearing loss and yet have hearing difficulty in certain situations. So those people don't necessarily even need amplification. Right. And so now you've got a completely different method of hearing enhancement that can address that end of the market as well. Just simply help reduce the noise and, uh, you know, give more, more of the speech. And you've now improved the lives of those people without a classic hearing aid. So there's lots of options coming now. And be, as, as you've pointed out multiple times, you know, as, the, as the, the chipsets and hearables get better, as the ability to uh, obtain, purchase uh, different apps and load them into your hearable devices is increasing, it's going to be amazing what solutions are available to people. And I mean viable solutions, not, not junk, but solutions that really help people at different levels of hearing. Right. I mean, that's, that's a, it's like you said, not junk, like the technology, the underlying technology really has matured to enable this at scale. And I think Braggy OS is such a good example of like the representation of what's coming, because I think that, you know, going back to the conversation you and I had with Nikolai of Braggy back, I don't remember when that was, I think it was about last year. And it was really fascinating what he said. He said, you know, we didn't actually ever really set out to make hardware. What we did is we needed a proof of concept, basically. And that proof of concept was for Braggy, Braggy OS. And so they made the dash and then they eventually pivoted to software. And it's like, okay, so they kind of went incognito for a period of time. And now they've come back and they have partnerships with Skull Candy. They have partnerships with Mimi, partnerships with Audio Burst. So, um, you know, Audio Burst being a company that uh, aggregates a lot of audio content. And it's this idea that he outlined, which is eventually your, your hearables will have apps. And, and, and it was a little bit vague at the time of what that meant, but now it's becoming really clear, which is, again, you take those three partnerships. Okay. So you have the hardware. So you have Skull Candy, which is uh, the largest OEM of sub $100 headphones. Um, you have Mimi, which is one of these, you know, sort of app-based online hearing profiles. You take a test and it creates your own profile. It creates your ear print, if you will. And then you have um, 
you know, audio burst, which is a very specific use case, you know, with these skull candy headphones that are operating with braggy OS that have the hearing augmentation built in so that it has an element of, you know, hearing enhancement, hearing augmentation. And then you have like specific content based apps so that it aggregates, you know, uh, different podcast clips, um, Audioburst is a really interesting company. I need to actually do a full-blown podcast on it so I can flesh out exactly what this thing is because I'm telling you, it's another really interesting use case. But all of this culminates into the same thing, which is we now are almost into a future where we have $100 headphones that are operating with something like this, like a little operating system that has lots of specific apps for it. And, And like, just follow this out across the next five years. You can imagine that it's a, it's going to proliferate massively. You're going to have all kinds of little devices that are so much more sophisticated than even a few years ago that have their own specific apps that are running. A lot of it's probably going to be done on edge. So it will help to alleviate some of the battery concerns. It will, you know, instead of a lot of this stuff being processed in the cloud, a lot of it might actually be processed on device. Think of voice assistants being able to do that offline. Um, There's just a lot of tantalizing options that are starting to kind of come into the fold. And I think like, this is what's been so exciting is you could see this coming from a mile away a few years ago, but you didn't really know how it was actually going to, how it was actually going to arise. You could see the pieces that were assembled on the horizon, but now it's like, okay, here we are. And we're entering into this. And for me, that's what's so much more exciting about the state of things. Isn't some regulatory, you know, new guideline that's going to basically introduce you know, a new element into the, into the market that's going to happen. And and it's probably going to have somewhat of an impact, but what's going to have, I think a much bigger impact is just the free market itself working itself out and people having, like you said, all kinds of new devices that have an element of this. And it's going to be that exposure piece across the next few years. I guarantee you, I would put money on it that what we're really going to see, like the biggest change in hearing health over the next two to three years is going to just be a exponential increase in the amount of exposure that people have toward their own hearing loss, toward understanding where they fit in on the spectrum and now be able to just go. It's like you said, the all or nothing sort of model is getting broken down into now you're going to have hearing aids that sit on the, the, like the high end of the sophistication ladder, but then you have a whole lot of things that fall beneath that, that are either situational, they're app-based, they might not even be amplification based. They might be more like machine learning, extracting speech from noise, you know, throwing a lot of AI at the problem. Um, it's just like the the ways in which you're combating this is increasing tenfold in the form factors and just all the different uh, techniques. And that's what's so exciting to me is like we we suddenly went almost seemingly overnight from like this all or nothing model to what soon will be just a sea of options. And that's ultimately where I think the provider really stands to fit in is there's going like the complexity is going way up. So there's going to need to be an expert to help to at least present people with their options. And that's where I've always thought that like in this newer model, that's where the hearing professional really sorts sort of fits in, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I mean, I'm in this business, so I can sort this out, but an ordinary person how are they going to sort it out when they're going to spend their three or $500 on a device? How are they going to know which is the right one? 
you know, it's worth a consult with a hearing professional to go get that sorted out. And, and then you can imagine an assistant sitting down, helping them select the right ear tips and, you know, running the, running the tuning app on it or whatever. You know, I, I abs- absolutely think it's an opportunity to make a hearing practice, you know, more holistic across the whole range. Because people who need the full hearing aid, they're, they're going to get a full hearing aid anyway. Uh, the people who can use a situational device weren't getting hearing aids. So I, I don't see this reducing the sales of full hearing aids. I actually see it increasing and improve the uptake and really improve the uptake. And yeah, the, the, the thing you mentioned it earlier that I always tend to bring up, I, I can never do one of these without bringing it up, <laughs> is all of this happening here in the U.S. over OTC and all the rest of it. I really hope is then going to drive the scale necessary to take hearing solutions globally to places where there aren't audiologists, the places where, you know, incomes are lower. And so cost really is an issue. Uh, And you already see people moving in that direction already trying to support that market in different ways. But I mean, really on global basis, what's the who figure 500 million people with uh, hearing impairment sufficient enough to affect their lifestyle. You know, it's a lot of people and most of them are not being served. So uh, as we drive these solutions here in the U.S. and in other Western countries, I really hope that provides a scale to take it global. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that this uh, obviously as a American-based podcast with you know, typically uh, get, well, actually I I have a fair range of international guests. So we do get a good perspective from others uh, as it relates to this point, but I completely agree. I mean, again, that's why it's, it's, it's almost like as, as an insider that really understands what's happening. That's why I almost yawn a little bit at the OTC stuff, because I don't think it's the much bigger thing that's happening. Like, I think that it is, it's a, it's getting all the attention and a lot of it is because of the way that it's worded and a lot of the inflammatory rhetoric that it creates around, you know, like, are there these, these cabals of audiologists that are price gouging? Um, no, you know, and so uh, of course that's generating a lot of the, the buzz right now, but I think that what we'll see over the next few years is that the technology itself is going to be the much bigger story and will have the much bigger impact. And so I think that's, that's what's so exciting to me is that um, a lot of this stuff is going to just render a lot of the OTC stuff a little bit obsolete because again, it might, I think Chattable is a great example of this where it's like, okay, so what, how do you define that? You know, it's, there's no augmentation. I mean, there's no amplification. It's machine learning and come in extraction of data more or less and then real-time processing that's you know basically just a huge layer of ai you know and so you now you put that into something like nuple and you know so you're now left with a solution that exists that is airpods plus nuple equals great you know cocktail uh party you know the, the cocktail um, situation that's usually described as one of the most challenging things where lots of different speakers, lots of background noises. So it's like, what's the solution for that? And again, I, I know that I'm harping on this a lot, but like, that's where I think the, especially in the U S it's like you said, 
the people that need hearing aids will get hearing aids. I do not think that part of the market is going to change all that much. I think that that's the market that's always been addressed, but there's been this huge portion that's been largely neglected. And a lot of that's just because I don't think that we have had the technology, the underlying technology in place to create the solutions necessary to appeal to all three of the big detractors in a sufficient way. You now have devices that look really cool. You have the behavioral change that was ushered in by Apple that I talk about all the time with AirPods. You have, you know, basically the economies of scale, the, you know, the peace dividends of the smartphone more. So you have 15 years basically worth of, of economies of scale of all the little components that go into the devices that, you know, it just keeps driving the cost down for all these different things. And so the, the net result is we live in a world now where it's like, it's highly normalized to wear things that look like earbuds in your ears for long periods of time. That's a huge thing that's happened. That was a necessary thing in order to alleviate sort of the stigma element of this, like getting people comfortable with this idea of wearing these things. And like I said, all of the peace dividends of the smartphone war, the Chris Anderson thing, that's been a huge, significant reduction in the cost of driving the cost down and making more affordable solutions. And then you have the avenue in the friction element of this. So you have, you know, the ability to open, you know, buy something DTC online, and you can then program it yourself and you can be, you know, basically self programming something that works really well. Um, you know, again, for these milder losses, again, put yourself in the shoes of somebody that lives in sub-Saharan Africa, where now they are starting to have like Android proliferation of their smartphones. So you give them something that can connect and pair into that, that's much more affordable. Now we actually have something that can combat hearing loss in parts of the world that we've never been able to before, because the legacy solution was this all or nothing approach. And so that's what's so exciting to me is it's like each of these three things is systematically being broken down. And I think that like now the time is right for these solutions to kind of present themselves as the introductory type things, you know, the things that they won't appeal to everybody. A lot of people will want to, you know, go the hearing aid route or they'll just continue to, you know, just get by the way that they are. But being able to have things that are available to people. And, and I think, again, and go back to the whole Kim Cavett thing that she mentioned on the podcast about the role of the audiologist or the professional is like that of a navigator. The, the patient's the captain. They're going to be the one that ultimately decides whether or not they pursue whatever you recommend, whether they're actually going to wear the device or they're going to put it in the drawer. Um, so the best that you can do is to at least give them their options and let them know what exists. And, and that's, I think, what's so exciting is like, it seems as if almost every week, a new element of this comes into the fold where it's like, that's just one more thing to add to your arsenal of, of solutions that you can present to people. Oh, I, and I love that navigator analogy, right? You think even, even today when, when a ship sails into a difficult harbor, what do they do? They take a pilot on board who guides them through, right? And, and that's exactly it. I just, I totally love that analogy because the technology is just racing ahead. It's, it's both, you know, the technology racing ahead means that, that people in this industry have to confront and adopt it. It can't hide from it. Uh, but it also opens up a world of opportunities for people to be navigators and pilots. 
So no, I really like that analogy that came in. And I'm, I'm going to read something for you just to show you how quickly things are moving along. I caught this a few weeks ago. It's actually a press release from a company called AI Storm, and they're doing an analog neural network on chip, low power, <laughs> low latency, right? Think about this. And they signed an agreement with Knowles a few weeks ago. And here's the summary. AI Storm technical partnership announcement with Knowles Corp for AI and sensor real-time audio processing TWS MEMS. In other words, the possibility of putting a neural network doing audio processing at high level in a microphone. Yeah. And so now, now you imagine a device, and this could be a hearing aid too. You know, I'm just kind of extrapolating here, but imagine whether it's a consumer device or a hearing aid where you are doing that speech from noise extraction before it ever leaves the microphone, right? So, I mean, this is just all racing ahead, what Bragi is doing, what AI Storm and Knowles is doing, uh, what Chatable and Jacody are doing. I mean, it is just racing along and we're gonna need more pilots to help the consumer navigate these waters. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like that's that's the thing is it's it, it's going to probably continue to increase in its speed too because again, it's like all of the pieces are really there now to start to assemble these things in lots of creative different ways. Mems are a great example. When I first met you, I didn't really understand what mems were, and I think that's a great example of like the type of components that we talk a lot about in this hearables world that are very unique. You know, like. I guess let's pull up here and just, why don't you give a quick breakdown of what exactly MEMS microphones are and then like what that is allowing for from, you know, compared to like, just like traditional legacy microphones, like computerized microphones, if you will. Yeah. So, so the original idea behind a MEMS microphone, uh, well, MEMS in general are, are mechanical devices that are made with processes similar to computer chips. And so you're basically etching out, you know, micro mechanical devices and MEMS exist in all different kinds. They're little uh, small MEMS pumps that can, you know, do uh, in the body uh, medical injection, you know, all, all different kinds of things. And Knowles actually invented the MEMS microphone originally for mobile phones. They would be smaller than the typical microphone in a mobile phone, you know, in the old days. And, and now their application has proliferated as well. Uh, they're becoming more and more popular in hearing aids because they're smaller and the performance uh, is very high. We have a specialty line for hearing aids with very low power consumption, very high performance uh, to meet the particular needs of hearing aids. Well, and they were still just dumb, dumb microphones. But now, because semiconductor technology is getting more and more miniaturized and more and more uh, powerful, we're starting to put intelligence right in the microphone. So we can do uh, voice wake within the microphone, for example. And that's only going to increase because when you can do things, when you can do higher and higher level processing right within the microphone, it's low power and very low latency. And so that's the driving force behind that. You see it in IoT products, for example, you can, you can have an intelligent microphone that'll do basic controls for a microwave oven, for example, you know, all on the edge. Um, but in this particular case, it gets to the point where we can actually build an AI neural network in a microphone. You can do all kinds of interesting processing within the microphone. 
And, you know, if you take a hearing aid case, if you've already cleaned up the audio to get the voices extracted from the noise before you do the classic hearing aid processing and amplification, it's going to make a hearing aid a lot more powerful or, you know, or a hearable device, you know, running in restaurant mode, for example. So we'll see where all this goes. This is a, a new relationship, but it just points to how quickly things are steaming along in terms of the intelligence you can pack into an in-ear device. It's going to make all devices, whether hearables or hearing aids, more powerful as these technologies move along. Yeah, I think it's like you listen to this stuff and, and uh, you know, as like two audio nerds, I think that like we really appreciate it, you know, but I think that a lot of people it's their eyes gloss over a little bit, but like the, the end result is something that I think we all can appreciate, which is these are like the driving forces behind why these things continue to just become more sophisticated and more capable. You know, it's like, that's, that's the real underlying reason why we have devices that can do the things that they can do. And it's setting the stage for all the things that they'll be able to do next, which brings me to the last thing I wanted to talk about today. Um, you know, you are the the biggest proponent I know of, you know, what we refer to as voice first hearing aids. For those of you that aren't familiar, voice first is like a Twitter kind of a jargony thing that was made popular by the voice community. And really what it implies is like this idea that you can use all kinds of different voice features as almost like the voice as the user interface for these devices. And one of the things that Andy and I connected early on with was really this idea that like at a certain point where you have these two sort of disparate technology sets that are taking place. So you have all the things that are happening with voice and you have all this stuff that's happening with hearables. The, the way that they'll ultimately meet in the middle is that the voice, the voice will kind of be the main controller of like your technology and it will be housed in your, in your hearables. And, you know, so it's like, Today, you kind of see it with Siri and AirPods, or you could be like Andy, he wears his phone at Marvels and he has Google Assistant. That's it's really, it's tethered to his phone, but he can communicate with it at ear level. And I thought what was so interesting, what I wanted to talk about here was, you know, I was watching some of those videos that Nikolai posted from, you know, Braggy's YouTube channel, where he's interviewing the CEO of Skull Candy. You know, he's interviewing... Um, Amir Hirsch, who's the CEO at Audio Burst, um, he was, you know, talking about this with Mimi, with the with the CEO there. And every single conversation, they had an element where they're talking about voice. And I just found this to be so interesting because, like, clearly, Braggy with Braggy OS is a very integral part. I think of where a lot of curables will move. You know, whether it be Braggy itself with Braggy OS or a competitor, a different OS. Um, or Apple with iOS, you know, it's like, we're very quickly moving in this direction where you're going to have some sort of operating system baked into that. And these companies and these executives are thinking very far ahead. And all of them are coming to the same consensus, which is like, voice is going to be at the heart of the future of these devices, because it just stands to, to sort of be that you'll have this scenario where more and more you will be less dependent on your phone in the screen and you'll, because you'll be able to have this alternative, if you choose, some people obviously are going to continue to use the legacy modality of just their phone. But I think it's like this vision of it being something where you really can 
control your app economy in the same way that you do through tap, touch, and swipe. You'll just be able to do it with your voice and all the different use cases that we've talked about before. But I just wanted to get your thoughts as we kind of close here about like, as somebody that's already sort of living in this future that they're describing, do you agree with me that like, it's just really, really interesting that all of these people seem to be recognizing that this is like one of the core use cases of hearables into the future. And how do you think that ultimately will impact both the hearables and the voice ecosystem, knowing that the people that seem to be the most influential, if you will, or at least have a serious amount of influence are almost steering it into this, you know, this, this, um, convergence. Yeah, you make a good point that now you see influential people moving this way. And it, it's, it's part of the hearing aids convergence too, because as people, as more people wear in-ear devices for longer periods of time, they're looking for the extended use cases, okay? Right now it's, you know, audio consumption is the primary use case, but that's gonna start as people wear them for longer and longer, other use cases are going to come to the fore as well, like hearing enhancement situationally, okay, or full-blown hearing aid if you need a full-blown hearing aid. And so it, the minute you start wearing this in-ear device for longer and longer periods of time, then you really open up opportunities for voice to play a more prominent role. I mean, I'll give you one example. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going, uh, we're going to my wife's family in Madison, Wisconsin, which is about 90 minutes from our house. And I need to get 16 miles in for training. So I preloaded a route into Google Maps. And when I'm there, I'm gonna get up early Saturday morning and I'm just gonna hit the go button and I'm gonna get the recited voice instructions in my ears, you know, for a route I would don't even know, <laughs> you know, it just tells me to turn right and turn left. And I'm pretty confident 16 miles later, I'm gonna show up where I started. You know, and that sort of navigation by voice, you can be on a city street, you all hearing the cars around you and talking to the person next to you and getting directions recited in your ear very naturally. All right. Or, or you can, you can stop in front of a restaurant and you can, you can ask for reviews of the place. People are going to start more and more to be comfortable with using voice for these things. And, you know, as that adoption grows, then you're going to see more opportunity to monetize voice experiences when you're wearing hearing devices. Plus, of course, the local control element. I mean, that's part of the Bragi announcement is that you'll be able to do all the earphone control locally without having to go to the cloud and back just to turn the volume up and down, you know, or, or, or skip to the next track or that sort of thing. It'll all be handled locally and very seamlessly. So it gives you a pretty a pretty good listening experience hands-free as well. And more and more people are going to start adopting voice for these purposes since they're wearing the things in their ears more and more often anyway. So now it's, it's a very exciting part of the convergence. And, it'll, and it goes the other way too. People are listening to music or podcasts or, or navigation more often then if they have the hearable devices in their ears anyway, I think they're going to start to adopt the hearing features with greater frequency and get that exposure to the world of hearing enhancement earlier in their hearing journey. So the convergence, I think, really works to people's advantage in both directions. That's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, it, I couldn't agree more. And um, I agree with you too, where it's like this idea of, you know, 
all of this is so intertwined because it's all the, the big common theme is, like you said, this incentive to be wearing something in and around your ears for longer periods of time. I saw on Spotify, my Spotify app just recently, they're doing a big push now of like, do you want to download a, you know, that podcast to your Apple watch? And you can, you know, like uh, Audible's doing this too, where, you know, it's this whole notion of like, um, do you need to take your phone out with you? You know, it kind of recognizes that a lot of people out there would be more than happy to leave their phone at home for that run that they're going to go on and just stream whatever they want to stream through their, through their watch, you know, or through their AirPods. And so I think that it's like, you, you just start to kind of look at this and say, okay, is it, you know, some people might say, well, that's really dystopian that like, you're going to have this future where you're wearing these things in and around your ears for long periods of time. Like, are we just going to be getting more and more in, you know, sort of um, dependent on our technology and all that. And I think that, you know, look around, like, is it more dystopian than it is now where people are just buried in their phones? And so I think that it's really going to provide people with a, you know, just sort of like a, a new um, alternative to the screen time, you know, and, and I think that a lot of people are going to go for that. Cause I think, again, it's, you know, and a lot of people aren't, really on board with this fact that you're spending, you know, you have Apple now that's actually issuing you a alert. Like this is how much time you spent this week on it. So clearly they know that this is something that people are actively trying to mitigate. And I think that that's where the hearing health side of this gets really interesting because you have, you know, like that very well might be your justification of like, that's why I'm going to wear my AirPods in for, you know, times when I'm not even, listening to anything or I'm taking calls is because I have conversational boost on. And will that become normalized? You know, we've already sort of gotten to the doorstep. And if that becomes normalized, will it be unusual to go into a bar and see people wearing things in their ears because they're really mitigating the cocktail hour effect that we were talking about earlier? You know, how, how does that actual specific use case come to fruition? Because the biggest detractor is the fact that people are in a social setting that it's discouraged to be wearing headphones, you know? So it's like, so in the absence of something like a hearing aid that's invisible, we actually have to have a cultural kind of change where it becomes normalized and, and will people be on board with that? So those are like, I think the things that are going to be really interesting to watch over the next few years is it seems actually more feasible than ever before. I think if you would have presented this like pre AirPods, most people would be like, yeah, well, that's just part of life. Like you either have to wear hearing aids or there's just not a lot that's out there for you. Now it's like, whether it's AirPods or it's something that looks like it, it's just becoming a little bit more normalized to, to have, you know, kind of the cheaters effect where you, you know, nobody bats an eye when you pull out your cheaters to look at a menu at a restaurant, you know, will it become the same thing with something that resembles earbuds? Yeah, it's it's funny because I mean I can do anything I want because it's it's accepted that I wear hearing aids all day long. So right, like I could be listening to Pink Floyd while I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> Nobody thinks twice about it, right? And and uh, my mother actually got she has a hearing aid on one side, and she got a Signia Active because it doesn't get hooked into the masks, which of course we're wearing less frequently here in our corner of the U.S. But she got them because it was easy to work with the mask. And her audiologist actually asked her, she'd be more self-conscious with the visible thing in her ear 
versus the Rick, because she wore her hair a little bit down below the tips of her ears, you know, so you wouldn't even see the Rick at all. But the Signe is right there in the middle. And when I first saw her wearing it, I'm like, oh, how can my mother be cooler than me? <laughs> you know? and then, but the audiologist was actually concerned if she would be self-conscious about having this visible thing in her ear when she went about and socialized. So the cultural implications are really there. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I think they will be overcome. Uh, I do that, too. You know, it's already starting to happen, you know, in certain areas. I mean, if I go to Silicon Valley, every third person walks around with their AirPods in their ears all day anyway. Yeah. You know, whether they're listening to it or not, and people have gotten used to it. And I think that's going to spill over. It especially is these new technologies for being able to engage and talk, um, you know, and, and get, you know, enhanced hearing in restaurants become more and more known, you know, in, in, in popular circles, people are going to accept that you walk into a restaurant with something in your ear, you know, it's not because you don't want to talk to people when you're sitting at the table. It's because you do want to talk to people when you're sitting at the table. Yeah. I think that cultural shift will come. But it will take a little bit of time, and it's all of a piece with this advancement in hearable and hearing tech. Yeah, no, I think that a good way to put a bow on this conversation. This has been excellent because I, I am in full agreement. It's like, you know, the, the everything that we've talked about. I guess I'll call this like a series, and I think it kind of kicked off with the conversation you and Kat and I had, um, which was like the first of these, where you know whether it was with. Uh, Abram and Steve and um, Kim and Jeff and Brian. And I think I've had a couple others where, you know, it's like we're moving in this direction where there's a lot of really exciting stuff that's happening. And I think that like the really big bull argument for everything is exposure is a really good thing. And I think that we're on the precipice of like a massive amount of exposure because you're going to see it with a lot of these like legacy devices that people already own that it's just like you said with an update in the os i can now make my airpods pro have this element it's going to be all of these devices that are running on things like a braggy os that have this functionality baked into it it's going to be you know if it's not braggy os maybe it's just going to have the licensed hearing health functionality like a jacoti or an alongo so like that's what I think is really exciting is that in order for you to get to the point to where it becomes normalized in a restaurant or in a bar or something like that, the first thing that you're probably going to have to have, have happen was first it had to become normalized to wear things in and around your ears, which has happened. And then the next thing is people to understand that one of the features that now exists widely is this hearing augmentation in that when people are wearing things in their ears, it's not that they're being rude. They have this hearing augmentation feature turned on so that they can better hear you. So that's probably going to take a couple of years for that to become normalized. But the fact is the Calvary is on the way and like these devices are going to be everywhere very soon. And I don't think people are really going to be buying them for those features. It's going to be a nice to have, but it's going to create a tremendous amount of exposure to this. And that's where I think like that creates this potentially cascading effect that could ultimately result in like this normalization. So with that, I think this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, any closing thoughts from you? The only closing thought I have for you is uh, congratulations to you and Molly. I 
just really happy for you both. And uh, we'll talk again soon afterwards. Oh, I, I thought for sure you were going to say something about like the Cardinals and like how good your White Sox are or something like that. Oh, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> I mean, even the Cubs can beat the Cardinals now. That's like, that's like really sad. And, uh, hey, we're playing over 600 ball, but you're still kind of in the hunt. I mean, it's only the all-star break. It's been a you long can, time you since you could say run. something like that. But, <laughs> yeah. The Tony Larusa White Sox folks are are in the lead, and man, they do look really good. It's... And I am going to Comiskey Park on my actual birthday on July 18th. I shall be watching my first live baseball, and I'm going to love oh, every moment. I love you. Know that you're a true White Sox fan because you still call it Comiskey. <laughs> I don't even remember what it's called now. I think it's called like great, great, guaranteed great, rate field. Guaranteed yeah. Rate, yeah. It's Sorry, serious. I refuse to. I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Well, as always, Andy, so great to have you on. We got to do more of these just one-on-one talks. We haven't done this in a while, so this has been excellent. Thanks, everybody, who tuned in here to the end, and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.